0: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 96 of Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where, with Matt Kelly, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, we take a deep dive, literally going into the weeds of a compliance or compliance-related topic. Today, we really go into the weeds to talk about non-gap reporting. Matt had a really interesting blog post, and we use it as a starting point for an exploration of the pitfalls, benefits, and other issues around non-gap reporting. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox, back again with Matt Kelly for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. And boy, are we going to go into the weeds today. Matt put up a post today entitled Non-Gap Reporting, popular as ever. And to show you uh, just uh, uh, how Matt's mind thinks, he thinks this is a sexy topic where I think it's pretty much into the weeds. So we're going to probably have to hash that out to Matt. So welcome.
1: Uh, hello, Tom. And I... Cannot think of a more exciting and riveting financial disclosure topic than non-GAAP reporting.
0: So, Matt, you have written about this before, and frankly, you have educated me quite a bit on this topic. I I find this to be borderline bad, nefarious, all the way to scary. Uh, What kind of new angle did you glean uh, that led you to write this uh, blog post? Sure.
1: So Audit Analytics, which is a financial data research firm based in suburban Boston, they have a new report they are publishing this week, and I believe it's already out as of now, October 2nd, uh, looking at non-GAAP reporting again. And Audit Analytics takes a look at it on a fairly regular basis. Um, They have basically looked at non-GAAP financial disclosures among the S&P 500 in the last three years, 2015, 16, and 17. And they also did a longitudinal study of non-GAAP disclosures in 1996, in 2006, and 2016. So this big 20-year arc on the proliferation of non-GAAP metrics. And just for anybody who's uh, confused about what non-GAAP is, this is any financial disclosure a company might report in its SEC filings that is not according to generally accepted accounting principles, GAAP. That is a non-GAAP metric. Uh, Non-GAAP metrics are permissible under certain circumstances. A fair number of financial reporting uh, enthusiasts and activists out there would say that they are uh, kind of sketchy because they are not according to formal accounting rules. Uh, But Companies will say if a non-GAAP metric gives the investor a better sense of you know, more accurate depiction of corporate operations and its financial position, then you should include a non-GAAP metric. And it's been raging back and forth for 20 years, but now we have this new study showing yet again that non-GAAP is just about as popular as uh, apple pie and baseball.
0: So, Matt, I guess what troubles me and all of that is that companies actually believe non-GAAP would give it a truer picture of a financial statement. When, for most of my lifetime, at least at least professional lifetime, we've had one standard which I've been taught to believe would give you a true picture of a company's financial health. Um, am I missing a boat on this? It depends
1: on your. Point of view. There are plenty of people who would say no. You are not missing the point of view on that. But I, I'll give you a counter example of people who would say here's why non-GAAP might be useful. Uh, you know, a GAAP metric is net income or earnings per share. We have all seen that at the bottom of the income statement. That's standard. However, if you are a corporation that has recently acquired a significant new division. Well, you're going to be integrating that new division, and that's going to cost money. So you might see a dip in your net income because you're spending more profit right now or more operating cash on integrating that new division. So you might report a non-GAAP metric where you say our net income was $1 per share, but our net income excluding integration costs – is actually a dollar 25 per share and next year once these two divisions are integrated they would not have that cost so why not tell investors look here's this one-time phenomena uh that is putting a a dent in our uh, net income so we're going to give you an adjusted net income too that theory you can apply that to all sorts of things for adjusted earnings per share adjusted cash flow um you know, there are definitely ways to abuse it, and we could get into that. But by now, the, the plain fact is that non-GAAP is pervasive. And let me just give you a couple of stats on uh, that. what Audit Analytics found. By 2016, 96% of the S&P 500 reported at least one non-GAAP metric whether that's adjusted net income, adjusted cash flow, or adjusted uh, funds from operation, if you're a real estate in trust or anything like that. So 96% reported at least one. However, the average went from 2.35 non-GAAP disclosures in 1996 to 7.45 in 2016. So we've gone from, I think it was 59% of the S&P 500 reported it 20 years ago to 96% of them report non-GAAP now. And the number of non-GAAP metrics they do report per filing has tripled in the last 20 years. So non-GAAP is all over the place. And that's that's the prime fact.
0: Let me see if I might be able to take this from a compliance perspective, Matt. Uh, typically, I would say something along the lines of the following, that if you have a, a process a policy with a procedure underlying how you're supposed to engage that, that policy, if you have an exception to that policy or that process, then you have to explain that exception. And that explanation has to be rational, a business justification. Um, does that uh, type of analysis follow here in non-GAAP reporting where there's an exception? And is that exception explained
1: Roughly speaking, yes. Uh, the SEC has Regulation G to enforce non gap metrics. Regulation G and some other SEC guidance that come out basically say non gap disclosures must be presented only in the same size and prominence as the corresponding gap metric. So you could not say something like in 45 point type. Net income, excluding everything, is $4 a share, and then down at the bottom, an eight-point type say actual net income we lost a quarter per, you know, $0.25 per share. can't do that. It has to be of equal prominence. Then you must also, number one, explain why the non-gap metric is useful to investors, in your opinion, and then reconcile it back to the closest gap metric there is. So if you have a non-gap net net income, adjusted net income, excluding depreciation, uh, restructuring. And I don't know, let's say equity compensation, all of which by the way is very common. Um, then you have to show at some point your math back to you adjusted this much for deferred equity compensation. You adjusted this much for restructuring. You adjusted this much for something else. And therefore you add all of those back in, you get to net income. Um, now it is what's interesting here is at a theoretical level here's the question should companies deviate from GAAP to provide investors a more complete picture of their actual operations or should companies deviate from what they're saying about operations to give investors a more standardized picture of financial performance which would be a GAAP metric that's the question which one of those choices serves investors better. Now, here's my bone that I have with corporate America on this issue. I'm okay with the idea that you might want to adjust earnings per share in one way to reflect operations more accurately. But what the audit analytics report found is a small but increasing number of companies are reporting multiple non-GAAP metrics for the same thing. So they're not just adjusting cash flow in one way to show that it's actually, you know, they they've say gap cash flow might be $2 billion, and they're going to adjust cash flow. So now it's miraculously $2.4 billion. They're going to then provide a second adjustment that shows it's $2.6 billion and a third metric that shows it's $2.1 billion, depending on if you look at it this way, it's this number or this way, it's that number. And this is a phenomenon. This is a real thing real companies are doing. These are big names. Um, Medtronic, GE, Procter & Gamble, Boeing, they all report multiple adjustments for EPS. So it's not even just they've adjusted it one way. They're giving you multiple choices on what you would like to do with EPS, never mind that actual earnings per share, according to Gap, is some other number entirely, I don't buy that because now by everybody who's listening for the last 60 seconds, I know your head is spinning. That's precisely the point. That is the problem. Financial disclosures are supposed to give people a sense of what is true and fair and accurate, not a multiple choice of what you think is most accurate, depending on what's really kind of important to you or the company is telling you what it thinks may be important. Uh, So multiple ways to adjust some single statistic like that doesn't pass the smell test. But that's a phenomena that is now creeping into corporate America. And um, you have to question the wisdom of that.
0: So I guess the uh, you cited to it in your blog post, Matt, and that was audit analytics observation about General Electric, which I'll just read. In oh, yeah. GE's case, an overly complex non-gap presentation mirrors an overly complex business structure which could arguably be correlated to poor stock performance in the past year. When I read the terms overly com- complex business structure, my concern is that it's overly complex for a reason, and that reason is to hide some poor performance. Uh, not that the overly complex structure leads to poor performance.
1: Yes, uh, that's a very cynical and yet not wrong view of non GAP metrics. Uh, from time to time, Groupon is one, uh, WeWork was another one, they would come up with completely cockamamie adjustments. And then say, you know if you exclude this and that and then you you know factor in the higher cost of living in greater cities, you know actually we're turning a profit from our operations, except you know when you don't exclude those things and you, you know, cost is a cost, they were losing money, so you, you can definitely abuse all of this, and I loved uh, that line about General Electric because this report came out uh, on the, pretty much I think one day after GE's board. I guess, reached the same conclusion about the overly complex structure because they just fired John Flannery, their CEO, who had done nothing but kind of ham-fisted his way through managing that business for 14 months. Stock price went down. It was too big, too complex. And that was reflected in these multiple versions of financial reporting. And we're not even talking about should you adjust or not. Should you give multiple ways to adjust and think about a number, and you know, you really are hard pressed to see how that is legit. On a more practical level, as well, I would say if you're going to concoct these uh, non-GAAP metrics, you have to have your disclosure controls rock solid. And the more cockamamie your disclosures are, the more solid your disclosure controls have to be to make sure that when you say, well, our adjusted net income for you know, equity pay and restructurings and merger costs and you know, higher marketing costs and everything else, that you need to know exactly what those costs are if you're going to start adjusting them to tell investors, this is the number you really want to look at. Uh, and that's a risk. You know, that's something companies need to think about. Uh, we often talk about effective ICFR, that the numbers are totaled up according to GAP. That's good. Non-GAAP metrics are not audited, so you know you have 302 controls instead under Sarbanes-Oxley. The disclosure controls they can still trip up a company, and uh, you have to think about that if you want to go down this road. Which it seems to me a lot of companies are going too far down it, or they're they're running around in circles around non-GAAP by using multiple versions of it at the same time.
0: So, Matt, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but uh, this has been a really into the weeds discussion about uh, non-GAAP financial reporting. So I'm going to link to your blog post in our show notes. Uh, I look forward to continuing the conversation and learning yet more. All right, Tom. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Matt and I would really like to know if you thought this one was uh, geeky into the weeds or sexy. So shoot us an email and let us know. You can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you'll join us again next week where Matt and I plan to look at The Tesla-Elon Musk SEC settlement, depending, of course, on any current events that might pop up in the interim. I hope you will plan to join us again. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network.
1: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.